And Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake. A large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. And then one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came there. And seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and he pleaded earnestly with him. My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. And a large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. And she'd suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors. And had spent all that she had. Instead of getting better, she got worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. Because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. And immediately her bleeding stopped. She felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. And at once Jesus realized that power had gone out from him and he turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. And the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. And while Jesus was still speaking, some men came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter's dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Ignoring what they said, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, Don't be afraid. Just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And when they came to the home of the synagogue ruler, Jesus saw a commotion, people crying, wailing loudly. Then he went in and said to them, why all of this commotion and wailing? The child's not dead, but asleep. They laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was and took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum. Which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. And immediately the girl stood up and walked around. She was 12 years old. And at this they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this. And he told them, give her something to eat. Lord Jesus, 
as we come to you by the living word today. Let your word come alive in us this day to transform us for your glory in Jesus' name. All God's people said, Amen. If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Mark chapter 5. The scripture I just read begins in verse 21 and goes through the remainder of the chapter. And it's the text that we're going to be exploring this morning. And the word the Lord has put in my heart, and what I've titled the message is, Outpouring and Opportunity. For those of you that were here a few weeks ago, when Bill Lent came up and shared a word that the Lord had put in his heart, the word and was what the Lord had put in his heart. That in this year of opportunity, there were going to be many ands from the Lord. And recently, last couple of weeks, he's mentioned to me in, on more than one occasion that in his heart, the Lord has said that last year's theme, outpouring and this year's theme, Opportunity, are two parts of a whole, that it's outpouring and opportunity. And as I came to the scripture this, that we're going to be looking at this morning, I was studying it this week, that came back to me because this is such a powerful word. Hear Jesus now, remember the context. He's gone over to the other side on the lake with the disciples back at the end of chapter 4. He goes over into a, another land than what they are familiar with. And on their way over there, the boat, a, a violent storm comes up and the boat is nearly swamped and they are terrified while Jesus is asleep in the boat. They wake him up. He says, why are you so afraid, don't you have faith? And he speaks to the waves, quiet, be still. And in so doing, Jesus asserts his authority over nature. And then as he steps out at the beginning of chapter 5, as he steps out of the boat, he is immediately met by a man who is demonized. who is utterly under the control of a whole legion of demons. A legion being a military identification in Rome for a, a garrison of, of 6,000 soldiers. And here we have the confrontation between the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness, between the kingdom of life and the kingdom of death. The kingdom of goodness against the kingdom of destruction. And there's no contest. <laughs> Jesus is the ruler over the kingdom of darkness. And now Jesus and his disciples are coming back across the lake. And they come to Capernaum once again. A place where Jesus has done much ministry. And as Jesus steps off the boat, he's immediately met by a huge crowd. 
And as Jesus walks through the crowd, a man who is, has significant importance and prestige within the community comes to him. Jairus, a synagogue ruler. Now, if you remember, by this time, Jesus has already been pretty much kicked out of the synagogue. His teachings don't seem to quite line up with the religious leaders and their rules and regulations and their law and their perspective. And the crowds have grown so large that they can no longer fit even in the context of a synagogue anyway. But when Jairus hears that Jesus is there, he comes and in his brokenness, He prostrates himself before Jesus and cries out for mercy for his daughter. He presents the gift of his need at Jesus' feet. Notice the humility of Jairus coming to Jesus. Please, my little girl is dying. Please come and put your hands on her. And she'll be healed in a minute. Such trust. So Jesus went with him. Now a large crowd followed and pressed around him. And, there's our end. Verse 25. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. Now here's a woman who's on the opposite end of the sociological scale from Jairus, the synagogue ruler. This woman has no prestige. She has no power. She has nothing. For 12 years, she has been hemorrhaging, and the context here makes it pretty clear that that hemorrhage is a, just a a vaginal bleeding that's happened. Because of that bleeding that's been going on, according to the laws of Leviticus, she is unclean. For 12 years, she's been unable to participate in worship. For 12 years, if she was married, she would be unable to have relations with her husband. In fact, her husband, by this time, could most likely even have divorced her. For her infirmity. Desperate. She's gone to the doctors who at that time used all kinds of remedies, none of which actually dealt with the issue that she was facing. She'd spent all of her money. She'd gone everywhere and nothing had helped her. In fact, she was worse 
And she was broke. And in the midst of a crowd, she was absolutely alone. You ever been alone in a crowd? hopeless powerless I want you to notice one of the little contrasts here tells us that Jairus' daughter was 12 years old at 12 years and a day she would have been considered a young marriageable woman she's just coming into her pubescence, she's just becoming a woman. She's just in the first bloom of that womanhood. Lived in privilege all of her life in the home of the synagogue ruler. And here is this woman who for as long as Jairus' daughter has been alive, has been afflicted. broken meltdowns. And I love what she says here. If I could just touch this guy. And she does. She reaches out and touches his garment and it tells us that power went out from Jesus. And instantly she was healed. And instantly he knew it. And he asked this question, who touched him? And the disciples go, well, what do you mean? Who touched you? I mean, look at the crowd. But here's another of the contrasts that I want you to see. And this is going to launch us into kind of unpacking a bit more of our scripture this morning. The crowd was pressing in around him. In Luke, it uses the word they were crushing him. And that was a fleshly pressing and crushing. The miracle workers around. But there was a difference between the crowd that was pressing and the woman who reached out to touch him. The flesh presses. The spirit reaches out, out to touch. So my question for us this morning to begin is this. How do we touch Jesus. How do we touch Jesus? And I have the simplest of answers for you this morning. We believe. We believe. 
What does that mean? Believe. Well, it begins with trust. We trust Him. We trust Him. Jairus trusted Jesus. He said, you've come, you're here, my daughter's dying. I'm going to get down on my knees before you and hold on to your feet because I know that you can. I trust you. And that woman said, if I can just touch his garment. Believing means telling him. means telling him. There's a brutal honesty here. I love the picture now as we continue here where Jesus realizes who touched me, who touched my clothes, and Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Verse 33, Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, And trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. There was no hiding. When you come to Jesus, just tell him all about it. Presumption comes with our, you know, our list and things. You know, we're kind of like, all, you know, I'm, I'm really doing okay, I'm good. I'm... But belief, trust, just, you know, if things are a mess, they're a mess. Tell them about it. If it hurts, tell them about it. If it's confusing, tell them about it. If it's frustrating, tell them about it. Belief tells him. doesn't try to mask and hide. Just tell them about it. That's what believing does. Tell them. It's a powerful step when you just come to Jesus and you're real with Him. This is it. Good, bad, and ugly. Here it is. And then follow him. Where he leads me, I will go. I will go. Go with him. You know, I mean, it tells us here, now they come and they say, guess what? Your daughter's died. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Jesus says, don't be afraid. Believe. And he brings him with him. Follow me. Follow him. I love this scripture in John chapter 6. The disciples are, and those who are around are conversing with Jesus. And they say, what must we do to do the work God requires? And Jesus answered, 
The work of God is this, to believe in the one that he has sent. Here's the work of God. Believe! One of my foundational ministry verses, Galatians 3. Are you so foolish after beginning with the Spirit? Are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? Have you suffered so much for nothing if really it was for nothing? Does God give you a spirit and work miracles among you because you observe the law or because you believe what you've heard? Is He going to work miracles in your life? Because you're so good that He just can't help Himself? trust him and you tell him and you follow him let's continue on verse 35 why bother the teacher anymore your daughter's dead they said Ignoring what they said, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, Don't be afraid, just believe. And he did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue ruler, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. And he went in and said to them, Why all of this commotion and wailing? Now, you've got to have, again, the context here. In that society, in that time, it was the common and natural and ordinary and necessary practice culturally to to hire mourners. And at the death of a young girl, tragically plucked from the very bloom of life, there would have been a large, and, and for a significant, substantial man like Jairus, synagogue ruler, there would have been numbers of people who would have been there anyway, but then they have the professional war- mourners, and those mourners do sort of an antiphonal song kind of response, and, and it's very loud, and there's lots of hand clapping, and you know, very foreign to some of us who grew up in maybe more stoic Scandinavian background where... Everything's sort of held in and reserved. But that's not the case everywhere. There was this loud commotion and wailing. And Jesus says, why all of this? The child's not dead, but asleep. And they laughed at him. And then the next words, after he put them out. <laughs> And the word there that's used is a very strong word. It's almost like there's a violent confrontation that takes place. I mean, Jesus literally, in the idiomatic word, hustles them out the door. Out. So my next question for us this morning is this. What do we need to put outside of our heart? What do we need to put outside the door? In order to receive the outpouring of the Lord, to release that outpouring and to see the opportunities, what are the things that we need to put outside of the door? Down through the ages, the great men and women of faith have noted that there are at least three Things that are the things which 
pull away from our wholeheartedness before him. The first is that of pride. Pride says, I can do it myself. Pride says, you know, second hesitations, three, seven. I just got to pull myself up by my bootstraps. I can do it myself. The antidote to pride is the grace of God. Because pride says, I can do enough to make myself acceptable to God. Grace says, I can never do enough to make myself acceptable to God. But He has made me acceptable to Him through the sacrifice of Christ. It is for by grace that you have been saved. Not through faith. Not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not of works so that no one can boast. It's a gift. That way, you don't, you don't own it. It's His. And He's given it to you. You also need to put outside the door unbelief. Unbelief says, I doubt that He can do it. I don't think so. Now think about it. Think of what the disciples have already gone through. They've seen his rulership over nature. They've seen his rulership over the kingdom of darkness. Now they see his rulership over disease. And now they're facing that last enemy of death. He's ruler even over death. Faith is the antidote. To unbelief. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6. Without faith it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists. And that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. And notice where the focus of faith is. The focus of faith is on the object of our faith, not on the subject. It's not on us, it's on Him. Faith is not some sort of ritual sort of thing that we can work ourselves up and into. Faith is simply a steady, long gaze at the character and person of Christ and who He is and all that He can do and all that He has done. And it is remembering that and responding to that in faith. That's what faith is. It has to do with Him. Remember the Israelites? I mean, they go through, they have these incredible miracles. They see God do one thing after another. And they got really good forgetters. And so do we. I forget this week what he did last week. You know, I can forget what I had for breakfast, and I certainly can forget what God did. Oh, no! And fear. These are the big three, pride, unbelief, fear. Jesus says, don't be afraid to Jairus. Just believe. Don't be afraid. Somebody with too much time on their hands walked through the Bible and 
found out that there's, you know, 365 times the command is given, do not fear, one for every day. Don't fear. Don't be afraid. I'm afraid he can't do it. I'm afraid he won't do it. I'm afraid. Just fear, you know, unbelief sort of wanders around up in our thoughts. Fear gets us right in our gut. It just it's an, it consumes us. Love is the antidote. Love is the antidote to fear. Apostle John said, There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect. So when you are in the middle of a battle with fear, let me ask and invite you to ask the Lord to fill you afresh with His love. Think about it when you were a kid. And maybe for some of you this is maybe more painful memories than positive memories. But you know, you're just in a really fearful situation and suddenly dad or mom Somebody safe just comes, puts their arms around you and just holds you in that love. It's the love of God. What can we expect to receive from Jesus? The word the Lord has spoken over us in this season and this time is expect. What can we expect to receive? What is this outpouring, these opportunities? What does this look like? What can we expect? Well, there are many things, but I'm just going to narrow it to three as we close this morning, and that is this. The first is we can expect the power of God. Power went out from Him. We can expect, as it tells us, and Paul writes, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, because of the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. We can expect the power of salvation. We can expect the power of healing. We can expect the power of deliverance. We can expect the power of God at work in our lives. We can expect His power. We can expect the peace of God. Hmm. I, I love this in verse 34. When he comes and the woman tells him the whole truth and he says to her, Daughter, your faith is healed. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. This is the only place in the scriptures where Jesus uses the word daughter. And think of how that must have healed the very soul of this woman who for 12 years has been outcast, for 12 years who's been out at the periphery, who 12 years has been isolated and alone, and suddenly she hears Jesus say to her, Daughter! Daughter! 
faith has healed you. Go in peace. That peace is much more than just an absence of conflict. It is the, the whole shalom, the wholeness of God. Peace I leave with you, Jesus said. My peace I give you. I don't give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and don't be afraid. If the world gives you peace, the world can take it away. But when Jesus gives you peace, nothing and no one can take it away. And finally, there's His presence. He's with Him, just like the disciples in the boat and now the you know, and, and, and with the, the demoniac and, and, and with, you know, this woman and, and with Jairus' daughter, there's just the ongoing, there's the very presence of God. Surely I'm with you always, even to the very end of the age. The Lord is with you. You can expect His presence daily, moment by moment. Hour by hour. Jesus, surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Hmm. This morning, I don't know what you all may be in the middle of right now. You may be in the middle of the muddle. But I want to invite you to reach out to touch Jesus today. To put whatever needs to be put out of your heart. The pride, the unbelief, the fear. And expect to receive from Him His power, His peace, and His presence.